All right, y'all, what is going on? This is your man, L. Jamal, coming through with another edition of Never Out of Bounds. This is the place where you can say what you want as long as you got them facts. A week uh, three of the NFL season is underway. We got some Thursday night football to talk about as well as some news uh, in the NFL. We also got some uh, got some college football news to go over as well as some previews there. I'll be going over a few key matchups in both the NFL and college football. And we have an exciting game to go over uh, in college football too. It's two unranked teams, uh, but it was an exciting game between Houston and Tulane I wanted to talk about as well. But let's get right into it, of course, with the Thursday night NFL action. Of course, the Jags were able to get it done 20-7 to against their AFC South rival, the Titans. 20-7 to was the final score. Both teams now stand at 1-2 and two on the season, uh, but I think the Jags feel a lot better at their 1-2 and two than the Titans feel at their 1-2. and two. But let's break down the stats for a little bit. We uh, well, we're going to start off with the Titans. And offensively, of course, they were led by quarterback Marcus Mariota, who went 23 of 40 uh, through the air. He also had 304 passing yards. He threw for no touchdowns, but he threw for no interceptions either. But again, uh, he he probably uh, would have been a lot of help if he would have helped, you know, got a touchdown or two. That's, that's my opinion. Uh, running back uh, Derrick Henry led the way on the ground with 44 rushing yards. He also had a touchdown on the ground as well. Wide receiver Adam Humphreys led all receivers, at least for the Titans, with six catches and 93 yards. Uh, wide receiver Ty J. Sharp will go on to catch two catches for 70 yards. And tight end Delaney Walker, the OG for them, had seven catches for 64 yards. On defense, the Titans were led by linebacker Jayon Brown, who had 10 total tackles and seven. Safety Kevin Bayard, who had seven total tackles. Uh, moving on to the Jags, of course, offensively, quarterback Gardner Minshew, the rookie, uh, definitely did his job. He went 20 of 30 for 204 yards, and he threw for two touchdowns. Running back Leonard Fournette will go on to have 66 yards on the ground. Wide receiver DJ Clark will lead all receivers with uh, four catches, 76 yards, and a touchdown. And tight end James O'Shaughnessy would have a receiving touchdown as well. As for for the Jags, uh, on defense, on defense, they were led by uh, Calais Campbell on the defensive end. Uh, he had seven total tackles and also three sacks. Defensive back Jalen Ramsey had nine total tackles. And defensive end uh, Jason, uh, Josh Allen, excuse me, the rookie, had four total tackles and two sacks. A couple uh, takeaways from this game is... Uh, I'm not saying that Marcus Mariota is a liability. He's he's missing something this year because again, uh, he's I mean him not having any touchdowns uh, really hurt this team. I don't think it's you know his mechanics anymore. I don't think it's an arm thing anymore. Uh, 23 or 40 isn't the greatest, probably the percentage. I can't calculate that off the top of my head. But 304 passing yards is not bad. Uh, I think he's dealing in this. Uh, well, he just has a situation where he does not have any standout wide receivers and uh, any ones that can score in the end zone for that matter. And then on top of that, uh, not to take anything away from Delaney Walker. But again, he is an aging veteran and they don't really have any change of pace at the tight end position to kind of uh, spare him and give him uh, some rest and all that. So again, I think Marcus Mariota, Mariota is really and whoever uh, they end up starting because they might I've heard through the 
for the grapevine that they might. They are thinking at least about starting Ryan Tannehill, and I don't see why not at this point being one and two. But um, I think both of them are going to have difficult times with this receiving core. And uh, Derrick Henry did not, I mean, he didn't have the greatest of game in terms of yardage. But again, at least he was able to give them the one lone score. As for the Jaguars, uh, Gardner, uh, Gardner Minshew uh, continues to surprise me. Uh, I thought he'd throw at least an interception in uh, last night's game. Uh, definitely the Titans had a really good secondary with Logan Ryan. But again, uh, they didn't, and Kevin, and Kevin Bayard for that matter, matter. But again, Gardner Minshew. Uh, looking to uh, be solid. I mean, he's been solid in the past few games we've seen him in. Uh, I think he's played since game, yeah, since game one. So in three games of action, he's looked really good. I don't think he's thrown uh, any, well, I think he might have, he's thrown a couple interceptions, but uh, he's thrown a good number of touchdowns as well. And hasn't, I mean, he's really looked competent. But again, that's the product of a Washington State quarterback in that air raid system. They pretty much passed there out there in Pullman, Washington. That's that coach out there, Mike Leach. Uh, I don't necessarily always agree with him on politics as we'll see later but uh i definitely agree with him in terms of his play calling in football um and quarterbacks like gardner Minshew obviously uh are the product of that of that environment so good luck on gardner good luck on his college coach it makes that that uh that coaching tree looks stable and competent so as well so it's an extension uh, as far as uh w what else i saw from them they played pretty good defense uh jalen ramsey of course showed up despite wanting to be traded calais campbell was able to get pressure on that uh offensive line there for the titans and uh leonard Fournette, as good as i i, I like uh gardner Minshew, i still think I, there needs to be some consistency and some balance in terms of this running game here with leonard Fournette. Uh, only 66 yards uh, not not going to take them too far uh, in the course of the season if he's not able to uh, get a couple hundred yard games there. Uh, but let's move on. I got three questions uh, going into week, uh, the rest of week three. Um, do the Jags have a chance, uh, really have a chance maybe at the playoffs or even challenging for the division right now? Or did the Titans really just suck? Um, for this one, time is definitely going to tell. But I do, I am going to say for the, for you know today, for what I know now about the Titans, that wide receiver core is not really that great. But for what it's worth, I don't really think the, the Jags' running game is all that great. So both these teams have some holes. I think they have some really solid defenses, though. I don't know what the Jags are going to end up when they lose Jalen Ramsey, what they're going to get in return. So they're probably going to take a step back defensively, too. Uh, so... I, I really, you know, despite what I've seen from Gardner Minshew, I don't really think they have the standout receivers either. So I, I think for now, it's going to be a time will tell type of thing. But, you know, I, I think both teams are going to probably take a, a step back this year, to be honest with you. But we will see. Uh, will the Dolphins win a game? At this point, I don't find I don't see that they'll win. They're going to win this week. I know they're not going to win this week. I just have a feeling the Cowboys are just going to run rub shot over them again um, for the third straight seat for the third straight week. Um, as far as will they win again, and that's why I'm asking the question: Will they win a game? This is a team that has the potential, looking like the Browns a couple years ago, and also the Lions a few years back as well. So um, that's. Uh, that's not a to me. It's not a good sign. I mean already the first two games were not a good sign for me So I'm not a hundred percent sure this one this team can pull a win out this season Just being honest with you, but they're not they're definitely not gonna win this week And finally my third question going into this week is can a B and the Patriots keep focus? I don't really know the answer to this question at all um, He's gonna be he has some drama. He's dealing with some recent drama. We're gonna get to in just a second 
Um, I don't know if he, I, I still don't even know if he's going to make it through the season, to be honest with you, unfortunately, with all this this new drama that apparently he has uh, put himself into. So we will talk about that in just a second because we are moving on to the news uh, in the NFL. And first and foremost, we're going to uh, start off with Taco Charlton, uh, the defensive end. He was a former first round pick for the Dallas Cowboys uh, at the defensive end spot, like I said, but was released to make room for their veteran Robert Quinn at the same at uh, the same spot. Uh, the Dolphins would, would, would eventually pick him up uh, through the waiver wire, and he could make his have his first practice today, and could even play in Sunday's game in Dallas against his former team. Uh, he's currently owed 1.83 uh, 1.83 million dollars at the end of the season. That was guaranteed. Dallas did not really want to, you know. I guess guarantee him that because of course they had to make room for uh, other vets, including Dak. They have to make a, a contract, uh, so we'll make some space for Dak, uh, Dak Prescott's contract as well. So this is probably one of those co- those cost saving measures. He hasn't necessarily uh, made his way to the starting rotation either as a defensive end spot either. He started in just seven games in his career so far and has seen action in 27 games overall and currently has 46 total tackles and also four sacks. So again. The numbers on the numbers and the production are not necessarily there. Uh, he was currently inactive for Dallas's two games, which sent him into somewhat of a mini tissy fit, and he did not want to play there for any, play there anymore. Uh, he did have some shoulder and ankle injuries over the offseason, uh, but I'm not too sure uh, that's. I mean, it might be some of the reasoning uh, why, but again, he just hasn't been effective. Uh, throughout his tenure and he, he's been there for a couple years now so I guess Dallas is looking to make a move pretty early and uh, finally in the big news like I said uh, Antonio Brown the drama and the saga just keeps continuing uh, Lisa J Banks a lawyer of the of the newest AB accuser has requested that the NFL order the wide receiver to stop uh, his threatening behavior apparently a group text message was received uh, from a number Antonio uh, Brown gave the victim sometime in 27 2017 uh, basically uh, denying all her claims because uh, well recently she had come out and made it an article for sportsillustrated.com accounting some details in which uh, in which Brown uh, basically approached her while she while she was under uh, well working for him she was making a mural in his house and apparently he walked up to her with some sort of small towel or whatever and tried to have sex with her. She also accused that there was some uh, sexual uh, misconduct as well, some sexual assault there as well. Uh, but, uh, and after those recent, um, you know, revelations she made to Sports Illustrated, but not the police, uh, she went on uh, to claim uh, recently that she had started receiving a group text message from, like I said, the number uh, that uh, she claimed to be Antonio's, that he gave her a few years back as well and basically like I said they were denying all the claims and uh, looking into doing somewhat of a background check on her and uh, also these group text messages messages included like an Instagram post of her children this all occurred Wednesday night um, again I, I would have if I felt it was a threat I would have sent it to my police I mean send it to the police and the lawyer again a threat I mean it implies some sort of immediate danger uh, again I don't know what your attorney outside of going to NFL making a call I will just go to the police if I feel threatened that's me again I would have went to the police the, the instant somebody tried to sexually assault me 
But again, people want to wait two or three years and then, you know, say, uh, but in, uh, but in this situation, she reiterates that she doesn't want money. The victim who is not named at the moment, or if you read, she's probably named in the SI article online. Uh, I have not read that yet, but this is just all from NFL.com. Uh, basically everything outside of that the, the outside information uh the the lawyer uh lisa j banks is is claiming that brown's actions are violating the nfl's personal conduct policy uh my big question is how how why would he include her in the group text message that makes no damn sense uh but it i mean it's it's really weird it's a really weird situation i i i don't know i i really this is a really i Again, anyways, I'm not gonna just, yeah. But anyways, uh, SI says it recently texted that same number and it did get a response. Uh, I, they can't, they did not confirm whether or not it was Antonio Brown. Uh, but in his Patriots debut, he didn't do uh, that bad. Uh, he was able to catch four passes for 56 yards and a touchdown. But again, I don't know how long this is gonna last. Uh, he has some real issues here, especially if this text message thing is turns out to be true. I, I don't know how you, I mean, as long as you can produce the thread and, and, you know, have evidence of that group, you know, those group messages and can show them on her, she can show them on her phone or whatever. Um, that really puts a really weird twist in this story. I don't know why you would threaten, basically threaten a, a you know, a supposed victim that does not make you look more credible. It makes you look even less credible at this moment. So um, I don't know where to stand right now. And maybe he didn't do anything, but now he's really going to, you know, put himself in a situation. Maybe he didn't do anything sexual to her, but the fact that he went through all this and, and did all that might not, all this stuff that he did with this group text, that might be the thing that gets him in trouble. So um, I'm not 100% sure what to say right now. I will keep, uh, for, I mean, I did not want to keep talking about this guy and his drama, but I think that. As this this story progresses I, I guess it's worth learning about and trying to get to the bottom of just to kind of I guess I don't know this is a weird again this is a weird story now especially like I said with this new group checks thing I'm gonna I'm gonna drop it for now when the new details pop up we'll talk about those but uh let's get into the three key games that I have over the weekend uh going in, like I said this is going into week three we're gonna start off in well actually an inner uh inner conference matchup uh between the Falcons, who are at one and one right now, and also the Colts, who are at one and one right now, I think this is a really key game for both of these teams. Because again, like I said, they are currently at 500 right now, one and one. Uh, this is like a crossroads game. The Colts have not looked pretty; have not really looked bad. Uh, and even in the one game that they lost this year, they've looked competent with quarterback Jacoby Brissett. He has not really necessarily turned the ball over a whole lot, or put, uh, or really, you know, put the team in a position to lose. I think the running game needs to step up a little bit. Marlon Mack has de was dealing with a minor injury, and the defense is pretty solid. You have uh, uh, Leonard there on the on the linebacker side, and you also have some uh, good some good members in that secondary, with Malik Hooker at safety. So, <clears throat> I like the coach chances in this one. As far as the Falcons are concerned, I haven't really seen any balance on them offensively. Of course, we know Matt Ryan has been throwing the ball pretty pretty good lately. Uh, I haven't really seen too much of that running game. And um, I definitely think that defense is questionable, uh, especially with that game that I saw with them uh, versus, uh, well, the Viking games. Well, the Viking game was pretty easy for them, uh, that Eagles game. 
wasn't so much. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the Colts in this one. I like the Colts being able to run the ball. Uh, Jacoby Percet passes the ball pretty well, and defensively, I mean, again, they have some better. I think they just have the better better talent there. So I'm gonna go with the Colts. Go two and one this week. Uh, next up, we have the Ravens and the Chiefs, both undefeated team uh, undefeated teams at two and zero. Uh, the the Ravens are traveling to Kansas City. Uh, I, I like Kansas City at home in this one. I again. I think the Ravens have scored a lot of points in the past couple of weeks, but with that being said, they haven't been playing that many great teams. With that being said, uh, the Chiefs defense is not that great. Something's going to have to give. I think Baltimore's defense, which has been really solid, not just, you know, you know, this year in the, in the, the past two games, but historically, I think it's going to just break a little bit in this game. The Chiefs win. I think they win by just a, a small margin. I just think they're a little bit more dynamic in the receiving department uh, right now. They have Travis Kelsey. They have Sammy Watkins, who's doing really well. Uh, I'm not too sure uh, what Tyreek Hill is looking like right now, but again, I just think they're, uh, of course, and they have the I mean, in terms of arm and accuracy, uh, I think they have the better quarterback with Patty Mahomes right now. Defensively, I'm not too sure uh, if they're better, but I just think their offenses, their offense is just, I think, a little bit more advanced and just puts up more points, you know, than than um, than uh, than Baltimore. Baltimore, uh, they're two and zero. Well, at least there's the scores and the, and the margin of victory in the past couple of games have been a product of who they've been playing. Um, if they are able to pull this game off, it's going to be, uh, I think that it's still going to be a significant number of points. I think we're talking almost 60 points, uh, possibly maybe, you know, 45, 50, somewhere along there. Uh, definitely 45 at the high, at the lowest, uh, I, but I think in order for Baltimore to win, it'll have to be around 40, 45 points. Anything be anything above that. I think it's going to be a squeaker with Kansas City pulling it out. I think uh, the Ravens have some offense, but just not enough for Kansas City. And moving on, I have the Saints at 1-1, one and one and one, taking on the Seahawks at 2-0. I think this is an important game for both of these squads here because I think uh, the Seahawks really need a good 3-0 start before they get into uh, the meat of their schedule, which I believe is going to be that NL West gauntlet. Of course, the 49ers are a lot better. The Rams are who they are. Even Arizona may even pose somewhat of a threat uh, to them this season just because of, you know, Kyler Murray, what they can do offensively. So uh, getting a good 3-0 start will be good for them. As for the Saints, of course, they are in uh, their first week uh, of six without Drew Brees. So it'll be good to get a good, well, of course, uh, they got a good chance to see what Teddy Bridgewater can do last week in some um, action versus the Bears. Uh, but uh, I think the key now is to see uh, how can he do an official in an official start and can I get a win um, in this one? I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, I think without Drew Brees, uh, I, I, don't get me wrong. I like uh, actually no, I, I, I like the Saints in this one, to be honest with you. Um, I like what they can do offensively. I think that they can run the ball a little bit uh, there. I think they can win this game. Uh, they, they have a good enough defensive line to pressure uh, the Seahawks. So. I, I like the I like the Saints' chances in this one. All right, guys, I'm gonna take a quick break, and uh, like I said before, we'll be talking some college football. I'll be right back. Hey, I am back, y'all, and uh, like I said, we're gonna get into some college football to wrap everything up for today. And uh, week four of the college football season got 
underway last night with a pretty big of a bang and an exciting game. It was against two unranked teams, but again, the quality of football was still there. Tulane, who is now 3-1 on the season, got an exciting 38-31 last, uh, pretty much last second victory against uh, the Houston Cougars. Uh, they are now 1-3 on the season. We're going to break the stats down in this one because, again, like I said, it was pretty good uh, from beginning to end. Uh, on offense for Houston, they were led by quarterback Eric King. He was 16-33 for 229 yards. He also threw for two touchdowns as well as an interception. But he did have 116 rushing yards and a score on the ground. And he would break Tim Tebow's record for most uh, touch uh, for most games, excuse me, uh, in a row with a t well, actually most games uh, in total with a passing and rushing touchdown uh, with uh, passing and rushing touchdown with 15. So again, some history was made last night. He had a really good game uh, game last night, passing and throwing the ball. Once again, the Eric King will probably be uh, this uh, this uh, conference player of the year. I could just see it. Um, he may even be a Heisman candidate, like a dark horse at some point as well, because again, uh, he's uh, leading the team in both passing and uh, of course, passing and running the ball in a lot of in a lot of games uh, so far this year, and he's actually been scoring in both departments pretty efficiently as well. So again, uh, some Tim Tebow, some Tim Tebow esque performances from this man here, this young brother right here, uh, really good uh, prospect here. If he's looking to go pro, I'm not too sure what his pro uh, pro uh, scouting uh, report is looking like, but if he's if he's looking to go, I'll have one ready for you guys. This guy is looking like he could be uh, maybe maybe a, a good uh, prospect. Uh, but moving on, on the ground, uh, Kyle Porter, was, running back Kyle Porter, was also able to get 60 yards as well as a touchdown on the ground. Uh, wide receiver Marquez Stevenson had two catches for 95 yards and a touchdown. Wide receiver Keith Corbin also had three catches for 48 yards and a touchdown. On defense, Houston was led by defensive black, excuse me, defensive back Sean Lewis. Who who had six total tackles and defensive lineman David Ania, who had six, uh, sorry, seven total tackles and two sacks. For Tulane offensively, they were led by quarterback Justin McMillan, who went seven of 20 one, for 186 yards and, of course, the three touchdowns, the game winner as well. We'll talk about that in just a minute. He also had 91 rushing yards and a touchdown. So Justin McMillan did not have the most accurate of days, but he definitely uh, made up for what his touchdown passes. They were three great Act, well, the, the touchdown passes were really crisp and accurate, and again, he had that rushing uh, touchdown on the ground as well, uh, taking some, sh uh, not taking some shade, but taking some notes from De'Ara King as well. We had some dual threat quarterback action throughout the game, which was really exciting. Kept both teams in the game, uh, to be honest with you as well. Uh, running back Darius Bradwell uh, led everybody on the ground with 113 rushing yards, and uh, running back uh, Stephen Henderson had a rushing touchdown to add as well. Uh, in the air, uh, it, well, in terms of receiving, wide receiver uh, Jalen McCleskey led all receivers with four catches, 120 yards, and he also had two touchdown catches. And uh, wide receiver Darnell Moody had 48 uh, receiving yards and a touchdown. On defense, uh, the Tulane Green Wave was led by defensive end Patrick Johnson, who had five total tackles and a sack, and also safety Larry Brooks, who had six total tackles. 
tackles. Couple uh, takeaways from the game. Houston would end the first half up uh, 28-14. Tulane would actually rally to tie the game in the fourth. So uh, it took a while and the game wasn't even tied until the fourth. This is how really how good this game was able to get. On a first and 10 with just 18 seconds left in regulation, Tulane would run a fake kneel uh, and they would get a, a 12 to 15 yard run uh, from one of their other running backs. I believe his name was Amon. Uh, I want to say his name was Amari, yeah, Amari Brooks or Amari Johnson. If I get that name wrong, I'll be coming back to give you guys uh, give you guys a I'll give you. I'll let you guys know uh, later on. Uh, but again, uh, they will also. This will go on to set up the game running touchdown pass from McMillan uh, to McCleskey. So again, uh, Justin McMillan uh, did not have the greatest game in terms of accuracy. Uh, but again, he was able to to come through when it counted. And uh, that game winning touchdown with three seconds ago to McCleskey was uh, was one. In my opinion, uh, one of the plays of the year next to the setup. Uh, one of the two top ten or fifty plays. However, they want to do it. I know how the media likes to compile it, but those two games, uh, those two plays right there, the setup and the eventual touchdown passes were probably one of the greatest sequence. I'll just say the sequence itself was probably the best I've seen in college football this season in, in quite a while. Uh, but really good game from Tulane. Uh, they're looking to go three. They're three and one currently on the year, and they're first in their division right now in the American West. And they might even be tied for first. I gotta come. I'll let you guys. I'll let you guys in on some standings as well as we get into this weekend uh, after the week games uh, wrap up so yeah I'll let you guys know exactly where Tulane stands in terms of their conference standings as well uh, but move on let's move on uh, we're gonna get into the, the, the key top 25 matchups going into week four in college football uh, the first one I got is the number 10 Utah going into LA to face uh, the two and one Trojans of course Utah uh, the Utes they as they call them are now are three and on a year number 10 in the nation uh, they're gonna go into a a USC situation that, um, of course, they're coming off an upset loss against BYU. Uh, Thirty to twenty-seven was the score last week. I think USC is motivated. I think they have the stars right now. I think uh, USC. I don't know what to make of these guys because um, they always recruit very well. They have been recruiting very well um, despite all the drama that's happened to them. Uh, over the course of seasons and all that, uh, but they just haven't been able to maintain uh, the initial national media hype. Uh, every year, uh, the national media has had a lot of good, positive things to say about them, but they just haven't been able to pull through. The BYU loss should not have uh, happened uh, in all reality. This is a team that should be three and all right now, possibly in the top twenty-five, and. Um, yeah, it would make I I don't know. Uh but now that they're two and one, they're not ranked right now. Uh Utah really looks like a good team. Um of, of course they haven't probably played uh the same echelon of opponents uh USC has played. Because remember, USC has a really convincing week two win against Stanford. So uh, uh this is a toss-up for me. I'm going it's a toss-up for me. I definitely like Utah's running game. I definitely like their quarterback play. Uh they've 
played some lights out defense in a couple games. I'm gonna say this one is a push for me. I don't have a, I don't have a call for this one, unfortunately. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give this one a, a push. I'll let this one play itself out. Uh, next up, we have Michigan and Wisconsin. Uh, they're both coming in there undefeated, two and zero. Michigan is the number 11 team, uh, 11 team in the nation. Uh, 13 uh, the 13th place team is Wisconsin, of course. They will Michigan will be going into Madison for this one. I like the Badgers at home. I like their quarter back play i definitely uh like the way that they've been wanting the ball uh they've had some blowout shutout wins of course they're not against you know marquee names uh but michigan has struggled against a really good running team we saw that uh in their near upset defeat uh by uh was it Army? Yeah, Army almost beat them in a really sloppy game from them. I think Wisconsin is gonna be uh, in a very in a very upset minded state. They have a really good running back in Jonathan Taylor. I'm gonna press it now. Upset button. I'm gonna go with Wisconsin. I think they get it done by a t either. I think they can get it done between a touchdown. Or field goal uh, between three and six points. I don't do spreads like that. I just say they, they either win or they lose. I can, you know, I can guess. I can sometimes guess about whether it's going to be a blowout or not. But I don't do spreads. I, I don't get them. So I'm not going to give you that. I, I'll give you Wisconsin by a score uh, by by a three to six point margin. I think they have a better running game. I trust their quarterback a little bit more, uh, and I definitely trust that defense for whatever reason. I did not. I did not trust Michigan uh, at home uh, versus uh, a triple option Army uh, offense. I do not trust them uh, on the road against a a, a real adult Campbell uh, candidate and running back. And for those who don't know, Dope Campbell is the the top award for the top running back in the award, uh, top running back of the year. They have one of the top one of those top candidates, Wisconsin does, in Jonathan Taylor. I like I like Wisconsin's chances. Like I said, I'm pressing the upset button on that one. And finally, in the big big time matchup, we have two uh, top ten teams here. Uh, number seven Notre Dame, two and zero on the year, will be traveling to number three Georgia. Uh, number three Georgia out there in Athens. Uh, the Fighting Irish are two and zero. So are the Bulldogs. This one is going to be an interesting matchup. I definitely like Georgia though. Just something about the SEC and just how they play every else this year um they're really they're georgia's going to be really stout up front on the defensive line they also really stout on the offensive line they're gonna be looking to run the ball really effectively and they can i don't think Georgia, i don't think notre dame has the the body or the sides up front to stop uh georgia's running game and i, I just think georgia I don't think it's going to be an easy an easy game in the beginning, but I think Georgia can win by up to 14 points in this one, possibly even three touchdowns. I just like I, their their offense is really physical up front. I don't think uh, Notre Dame has really, again, neither one of them has played a really exciting or really challenging opponent just yet. I just think I just have a feeling that Georgia runs the runs all over them. Just just have a feeling. Uh, but moving on, we have some news to go over. And the biggest news to talk about coming out of college football. This occurred over the past week, but the California State Assembly and uh, has decided to vote 73 
to zero in favor for the Fair Pay Act, which will make it illegal for universities in California to revoke a student's scholarship or eligibility for accepting money. Now, schools won't necessarily be paying the athletes, uh, but they can hire agents uh, for business deals and for contracts, so what, so on and so forth. Uh, maybe some type of endorsements. Uh, there you go. Uh, but the state, uh, the state senate also approved the bill 39 to zero. And the next stop will be to Governor Gavin Newsom's office, where his signature will put the law into effect. Of course, the NCAA is against this and is claiming that this would give California schools an unfair advantage or unfair recruiting advantage and would make them ineligible for NCAA play. Uh, just how I feel about that is I don't necessarily agree. And and the reason why I don't necessarily agree with the NCAA, how the NCAA feels is because in there, and I'm going to give you guys an example uh, of this in just a second. In their, um, in their root or when they punish or when they do their investigations about this team, about teams, and when they violate certain uh, pay-for-play scandals and all that, I think the way that they dish out punishment is unfair, and uh, it, it's it's kind of I don't know. It's based. I don't know. For one, I don't think they do their due diligence when it comes to really investigating all teams and giving them all of their punishment. I feel that some are given pretty much slaps on the wrist because of what their endowment is already and just their popularity and their brand is already. And something that they punish don't really ever recover. And I think the NCAA plays an unfair game because there's violations that teams have made throughout the decades, throughout uh, there's many violations that you can you can have for any of these teams uh, that they have made. And I don't think the NCAA NCAA does a fair job of really uh, holding those teams accountable, especially if they are Power Five, Power Conference teams like the Alabamas, the Georgias, the USC's, uh, which came recently. They and, and again, don't get me wrong, they did do USC recently, but I'm going to compare the USC situation to another school uh, back in the '80s. Uh, now, uh, let's get into that real quickly, just because I feel not only not only does a law like this, a Fair Play Act, which is not only being uh, uh, you know, pass in California, but it's also being brought up in a lot of different states because I, I think not only uh, a payment or some type of stipend or whatever would help, you know, just or getting some type of money would help the players, but I think it would also help the schools as well. And I think these schools need some type of recruiting advantages so they can become, again, more uh, profitable because, again, they'll be able to have more popular sports programs they'll be having more successful sports programs so i think the ncaa i think it's unfair they want to control who gets what and who's able to develop and who's able to become a power conference and i think uh with their current standards they they allow uh, certain schools again in the power five conferences the sec the pac-12 who i'm fans of uh i'm fans of those teams but again the ncaa i believe gives them unfair advantages by cutting off pay-for-play type situations because again i feel with pay-for-play uh not only does it help the student athlete because he can get by he can afford certain things i'm not i'm not saying he needs a, a fancy car all these watches whatever he does with his money again uh, that's on him whatever he uh, we can't really control that but I, I feel when you allow not only do you allow uh you know sports agents to kind of you know 
get them money ready wise and to get them get them some skin in the game in terms of that get them some exposure there you also can have a whole network think about what we're saying here a whole network of boosters and alumni and when you allow that alumni to finally say you can represent your school in the and not only just the academics which they which the NCAA has no problem with or colleges don't have a problem with college colleges do not have a problem with with people donating millions of dollars to help uh you know a science program and I, i'm pretty sure science you know groups of you know the science you know groups of america and the top groups of sciences sciences and all that probably don't care if a minor scientist gives another scientist at a school that's you know going to school some type of money to do his thing why does it why does it have to apply so much to football i think because again in football and these sports people again i think you have these these uh these great conferences and these power five conferences that the media and the ncaa has been pushing along with the help from the media has been establishing for years as these great money hung these great uh conferences these great teams and now they will have to compete because of money because of these these other benefactors they have to compete for those for those same resources college football wants to they feel that only teams like uh USC, uh, teams like UCLA, when they're able to get right, Texas, the big power schools, again, Alabama, they feel like Alabama winning and Clemson winning and those same power, you know, power five schools, I keep mentioning the name, will make that, will make the NCAA successful. When you start, when you start breaking it down and allowing Fresno State, I'm just saying, just because it's, it's the same, it's the same thing in baseball, same thing in basketball. You start taking that, you start breaking that, that power structure down and you start seeing Fresno State state win a, win a conference championship or I'm sorry a, a national championship the NCAA will fall flat on its face because that's not who they consider to be you know who who they consider to be power five or 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 inclusive in those in those big money talks so again those schools it's not even just a player thing it's a school thing now back to the SMU uh, Southern Methodist University USC situation now SMU like I said Southern Methodist University out there in Dallas when win two national titles in the 80s until the death penalty uh, basically shut that whole program down for at least a year or two. Now, these violations came from, of course, they were playing players, so on and so forth. But guess what? USC was buying parents' houses. And don't get me wrong, they had their championships, taking some of their championships in that period of time taken away from them. Uh, they had some wins taken away from them uh, from some point in time. But they did not have their whole football team shut down down they did not have it shut down and it was able to still uh, recruit athletes it just couldn't recruit a whole large number of them uh, but as for you know but as for USC they were still able to reach conference championship games they still had elite talent not only get recruited by them but but uh, transferred to their school, uh, such as the case as Silas Red in the in the early 2010s when he transferred from Penn State during the Joe Paterno era in that drama to USC. So again, USC also won uh, conference titles even during all their drama in 20 from 20 uh, 2006 to 28 to 2008, and also they won three straight Pac-12 titles or shared the Pac-12 title. Or which was a Pac-10 probably back then, and also in 2017 they outright won it. Uh, they outright won the Pac-12 title. As for SMU and their violations, again, 
their whole football team was taken away for them for at least two, uh, I think two seasons. And they haven't really been back uh, nationally ever since. It's like they've been blackballed uh, almost. Uh, they haven't even reached the conference uh, championship, but twice in both of those times were in 29 and 2010, and they've both been losses. And this is coming from a team that won two national championships in the 80s. Now, mind you, SC, USC had its two national championships taken from them, and they have been they were stripped of scholarships. But again, the media always ranks them high. The media, the media always puts them in a high regard. Therefore, they recruit all the best recruits. So again, it's unfair even for the teams. So imagine, see, so imagine, you know, alumni networks and booster networks in cities like Dallas and Houston that got money that could put on for these football teams. You you can have, you can very well have every team. It, it'll be a fair playing space because again, every team has an opportunity to recruit some of the best players. You have equal playing fields. You, it's not always, you're not always stuck saying, well, Texas or Oklahoma is going to win the Big 12. You actually have a case for West Virginia. You can actually have a case for I'm sorry, Iowa State, and I think people want to see that rather than just talking about Oklahoma and Jalen Hurts every fucking year, or those type of players, or Baker Mayfield, and so on and so forth. All all we talk about is USC, even when they're not that great. That's a problem that the NCAA has not addressed with their we don't want to pay nobody. They've they created a structure where only certain teams can survive based on name brand and national popularity. That's unfair. Imagine if you opened up the the, the alumni networks at these HBCUs. You know how re really in-depth some of those alumni networks are? We're talking about teams that could upgrade facilities, upgrade this, that, and, other, and actually compete in getting the best talent with these these quote-unquote power conferences they can they can nab a, a kid from two that would normally go to mississippi state a kid that would normally go to mississippi state or old miss could probably go to alabama state or go to howard see the ncaa wants see they, they'll claim they're making it fair no they're actually making it unfair for not only the player but for college football in general they only want a certain number of teams to be profitable that's what they're controlling, and that's why not only the students should get paid. I think it should be a whole it should be a whole community effort to get the, their college football team to be better. Why not? The Packers did it with their football with their football team. Why not? Shoot, why not give? Why not give alumni a chance? Why not give? Why not allow the alumni to donate? Why not allow alumni to say, look, man, you need help with some groceries? Come on, man, come on. You should allow the alum. The alumni should be welcome to take care of curtain students. Why not? That's what it's all about, right? You can't you can be alumni, but you can't talk to the football players. You can't chat it up with the basketball players without somebody being worried. That's bull. Man, we know these kids are struggling, not eating. And the only people that's that's talking about they shouldn't they shouldn't be given anything is people like Tim Tebow, who had who grew up in a rich household, who had parents who paid for everything, who took him to all his league games, who had a car. Not the one, not the one with we're not we're not we're not hearing from we're not hearing that from the single mother athletes who had who had two or three brothers who who were on a budget, who couldn't all might not have been able to all play sports or had to share this or share. Nah. 
Then you got Mike Leach, the coach in Washington State. Again, good play call. Everybody has nerves to say, well, California needs to worry about the homelessness problem first. Well, yeah, well, we can worry about the homelessness and taking, player, taking care of student athletes at the same time. Uh, there. How about that? Now, and as this is coming from a coach, that's coming. That remember that comment is coming from a coach that stuck that that forced one of his players, that locked one of his players in a shed in the hot Texas sun. That's why he's coaching at Washington State. So remember that the the the, the main people that got something against this is the rich white boys and the rich white and the and the, the semi-rich white coaches who 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 hold and lock their players in the sheds. There you go. That's 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 who do, does not like the Fair Play Act. Not surprised. <laughs> All right, y'all. So I'm gonna wrap it up for today. Um, I will be back probably Sunday. I'm gonna give myself a, a chance for a break. Uh, we'll be back Sunday. I'll be going over uh, some NFL, of course. Uh, give you guys an MLB update. We also got some college football to go over as well. You know what? Nah, nah. No breaks. No days off. Let's just come back tomorrow night with some college football top 25 action, and then uh, we'll go over the MLB and the NFL Sunday night. How does that sound with y'all? All right. If you're looking to get in touch with me, you can hit me up on my email. Uh, that is ljbutler75 at gmail.com. E-L-J-B. Uh, e- sorry. E- uh, E-L-J-Butler75 at gmail.com. Once again, that is ljbutler at gmail.com. E-L-J-Butler at E-L-J-Butler75 at gmail.com. It's Friday. It's on. Uh, it's time for me to enjoy the weekend. But I, like I said, I will be back. Uh, I'm off work, so I'm I'm about to enjoy today. Um, if uh, you look, like I said, if you're looking to get in touch with me, hit me up on my email. Uh, you can also reach me on the at, uh, on the the Facebook page for the show as well. Never out of bounds. I got a lot more links there uh, for my Instagram. I also have uh, my links for my PayPal and also my Cash App. If you are looking to make donations, more so looking for interactions. Come on now talk to me uh i get a lot of love uh, here and there in the dm which is really cool uh but don't don't be shy to hit up the facebook either or the instagram i am there as well uh but i'm gonna be signing off for now peace out one love and I- i'll holla back <laughs>